You're listening to the Business with Purpose podcast with your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com. This podcast takes you behind the scenes with some of the world's most generous entrepreneurs, from the CEOs of mission-driven brands to directors of small community nonprofits and everything in between. Molly is sitting down with men and women who believe in changing the world not only through their personal lives, but also their professional careers. And now, here's Molly. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Business with Purpose podcast. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. I am so glad you are here. Thank you for tuning in. There are 27 other episodes in the archives that I would love for you to check out. This podcast is all about how we can make a huge difference in the world in all aspects of our life, both personal and professional. If you're not already, I would love if you would take a moment to visit us on iTunes and subscribe to the show and be sure to leave a review. Your reviews mean so much to me and I just can't thank you guys enough for the support that you're giving to help grow the audience of this show. And as you're listening to the show today, if you would find me on Twitter or Instagram, I am at stillbeingmolly and you can use the hashtag businesswithpurposepodcast and leave me a comment there as well and let me know what you loved. My guest today is the founder and CEO of Seiko Designs, Liz Bohannon. Seiko Designs is an ethical fashion brand that I have loved for years. They work with artisans in Uganda who are actually young women who are trying to earn a living so that they can go to university. What Seiko is doing to empower and encourage these women is truly amazing. They know their niche. They know the impact that they are making. And you are going to love my conversation with Liz. We talk about everything from our love of comedy to our love of ethical fashion to the fact that we're going to just take our families on a trip to Ireland and Africa together. I mean, it's no big deal. Liz and I are basically you know, best friends. So you're going to laugh. You're going to be on the verge of tears. This is a great episode and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Liz. Hey Liz, thank you for coming on the show. I am so excited to have you. Oh, likewise. I'm so excited to have this little chat with you and everyone who's listening. I know. So, you know, you and I were talking a little bit before we started recording, but I want to talk about this because I do, you were saying like, you were like, I mean, I don't know you, but I feel like I do. And I'm like, that's the same way we've been following both of each other on social media for a few years. And it's, it's just one of those things where that's the weird kind of strange creepy, awesome, great thing about social media is like, you don't know these people in real life, but then you really feel like you do. And I'm like, I feel like I know you and we're already BFFs and we have so much in common and we're planning this like family trip to Ireland together. <laughs> we're going to take yes, it. Ireland, hashtag Ireland. When is that? 2020? Yeah. Is that our goal? Yeah, it's going to happen. Like it's going to happen. I feel great about that. It's going to happen. I'm excited for, I'm excited for Amos to be with us. His redheaded people. I know. I know. He'll fit in. Right uh, he'll fit. He'll fit in so well. I'll put him in a little like a little uh, like a little top hat, and I'll just have him oh, be like, "Ah, oh, top of the morning to ya." Like, and he'll just <laughs> top of the morning to ya. Top of the morning to ya. Uh, <laughs> like, I, and then and he'll fit. He'll fit right in. <laughs> oh, it's gonna be great. Yeah, it is social media, man. It's just a very and like I was saying, I think I've just decided to not be angsty about it, and to just I tend to be so. Um, I, uh, you're not into the Enneagram, are you? Oh, well, you know who got me into it is Jessica Ooh. Honiger. Oh, yeah. We've <laughs> talked about it before. She is into the Enneagram. You know She's what? And I think, totally I can't into remember, it. but I think we're, we, Jessica and I might be the same number. I'm not positive, but I remember having a conversation and getting really excited about the fact that, um, that she knew about it. So did, did she, how into it are you? Have so, you heard about it or do you know, have you kind of, ha, have you dove in, divin? Divin, dived in, dove in. Dove into it. Hi, 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 hi. Oh my goodness. So I took the test and I'm a two, the okay. helper, but uh-huh. I think I have, I think we determined I'm a three wing. I think that was okay. it. Yeah. Maybe the okay. achiever. So you're a helper with an achiever wing. Yeah. Actually, the same as my husband. Really? No, no, sorry. He's a three wing too. So oh. similar, but different. Okay. What are you? I am an eight wing seven. And what's so that? Eight, eight is the challenger and seven is the enthusiast. Oh. So my whole point, sorry, I got off track no. was <laughs> when I tend to challenge things and be like, when everybody's doing something, I tend to take more of a perspective of like, what are we not seeing here? I'm going to push back against this, even if I'm not 
totally sure what it is. And I feel like I did that for a really long time with social media, just because I think I saw a lot of people just get so caught up and so consumed and so like not using it. And what I saw was like a healthy way of recognizing that like, Hey, social media is just a part of who we, it's just a, like a small facet. It's not someone's whole life. Of course it's not their whole life. Like it's a curated, thoughtful, stream of highlights that someone wants you to see. Right. But I feel like if we just recognize that that's what it is, then it's great. It's like, fine, let's just like, but I think it's when we, you know, when we put it into a position or when we think we really know someone and it's like, no, I feel like I know you, but I know only the things that you've chosen to share with me and thousands of other people, which is very different than like, knowing you in a way that we're like, we are each other's people. And I know all of the hard things too. And I know the backstory to that funny story and, and vice versa. So I feel like once we just recognize, like, let's call it what it is. It's like, it's the, you know, it's the highlight reel, but the highlight reel is also real. Right. Unless someone's like psychotic and they're just lying and making stuff up, which I'm sure, you know, Oh, I'm sure that happens. But it's like, it's kind of funny where it's like, I know I reacted like this. Like sometimes when we are in Uganda with people, I've, I've had people refer to like the nice areas of Uganda or like the nice neighborhoods being like, no, 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 this isn't real Uganda. And it's like, uh, unless we're like in the Matrix or the Truman Show and I don't know about it, like this is real. It's, yeah, this is real. This is just as real as that slum over there. It's, it's all real. It's just like different facets of one true like whole picture but like let's not be people who are who are just assuming that like oh well because it's on Instagram that means it's not real but let's also not be people who are saying like oh well because it's on Instagram that's their like whole world right anyway that's no. kind of a rabbit trail but I love it I'm now I'm in a place where I'm just like no this is cool I get to connect with my friends from all over the world it's better like to see highlights in my mind than like to not know anything that's going on so I'll take what I can get yeah. And, and I think like, I think there's people like you. Yeah. And I think there's just so much negativity out there that when you can redeem social media for good in some way, you know, whether it's just positivity or connecting with people or, you know, I mean, sharing the gospel with somebody. I mean, you know, everything from something really simple is, hey, look, it's a new recipe idea to to man, let's have a really interesting and deep and theological conversation about the gospel. Like, I mean, those things can happen on social media and we can cover up all the other junk. Totally. I love that. And I think we just need to start taking maybe a little bit more responsibility as consumers of like, you also get to choose who you follow, right? Right. So it's like, if you're putting yourself in a position where it's like, you're just making like, your social media stream makes you feel bad about yourself. And it's just like constant competition or perfection. Like there's a really powerful, easy thing you can do. You know, that little button that says unfollow? (laughs) Yeah. Who can do that? Yeah, like, you can use You're that. an adult who has autonomy over your own life. And like, this is not a hard in-law situation where it's like, oh, yeah, that's really hard. But I still have to keep showing up. This is your Instagram. You yeah. can just decide like if this if this isn't good for me mentally or psychologically or emotionally or relationally, click. Yeah. See ya. <laughs> you know, and, and get to kind of curate your world with, yeah, people that are choosing to use it in a way that's authentic and that's positive and that makes you laugh or you get to talk about important things and encourage each other. And, and I love that. I love, we just got done literally right before we were on this call. I was doing um, a Facebook live with one of my um, employees and we were talking about the Seiko fellows program. And in the course of talking about it, we had, I think four or five people that signed up for our program. And it was, I just was like, I came back into the office with my partner and I was like, Technology is amazing. Yes. Like, literally, we just broadcasted a live broadcast to thousands of people that we didn't really prepare for. We paid zero dollars for. Like, that was something that 10 years ago, you had to, you know, like, be on a certain network and you had to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars and you had to do all this planning and production and all of that stuff. And we, like, we have access to tools that 10 years ago, people running businesses or trying to do stuff never could have dreamed of. Like, I love it. I'm in. I'm sold. I think it's awesome. Well, that is, Liz, is a good segue to the fact that you, I mean, the whole reason you're on the show, other than just being awesome, is you are the founder of one of my, I mean, no, no, no BS here. <laughs> you're like one of my, I'm just throwing it out there. I'm be real for a second. Like one of my, 
like legitimately one of my favorite fair trade companies um, and ethical fashion companies. Um, I have been fo- like Seiko. It's funny. I told Jessica Honegger this when I had her on my podcast a few, I guess, back in January. I'm, my dates are all messed up. Um, but Noonday and Seiko were like my two like main introductions into ethical fashion. And I, I had gone to a friend of mine had thrown an ethical fashion party. She called it a fair trade fashion party. And we had had um, she had had um, Brandy Mendenhall, who is one of the I mean, she was like one of the earliest noonday ambassadors. She was there with some stuff. Um, a friend of ours who runs the Mighty River Project, they're a nonprofit out of Uganda. She had brought some of these handmade baskets. And then we had gotten a box of goodies from Seiko. And it was, gosh, this would have been like 2000, either 2012 or 2013 in the spring. And, you know, this was a couple years after I'd gotten back from Kenya and I was, you know, I was really trying to learn as much as I could about fair trade and ethical fashion. And and I was starting that process of asking companies, how are they making their stuff? And so I was trying to learn more, you know, more about these brands and then I was introduced to Noonday and Seiko and I just remember thinking like this is so awesome like this is what I like this is what I've been looking for this is all of my dreams have been answered <laughs> um that's amazing and um I bought my first pair of sandals and I bought like the a set of three ribbons and I was like I don't know how to tie these things but I'm gonna figure it out you know <laughs> Oh, I'm gonna figure it out. I love it, it. That's amazing. So well, I love to hear that that was um, yeah. So that was your introduction, and yeah. that you're um, you've been such a faithful friend and follower and and fan, and especially anytime you know we love. I I find that far too often that people that that have that same desire to want to start learning about where their stuff is coming from um, and be more educated and recognize that, hey, every dollar that you spend, you're you're voting for the way that you want the world to work. Yep. Um, also, yep. eventually end up feeling like they, they kind of face this challenge of having to choose between buying ethically and buying like fair trade and buying stuff that they actually really like and that they want to invest in and that they feel great wearing and carrying and sporting and all of that kind of stuff. So that it makes me really, really happy to, um, to hear that, to hear that not only did the kind of mission and vision, um, of what we're doing appeal to you, but that you, that you love your products too. Yes. Yes. So with that being said, I would love for you to give the Liz 101. So tell us, tell us your story and tell us how you got started doing Seiko. Okay, yeah. So I um, I grew up in Missouri, in St. Louis, actually. And I went to the University of Missouri, and I studied journalism. And throughout college, I became increasingly interested in issues that were facing women and girls, and specifically that were facing women and girls living in extreme poverty and in conflict and post-conflict zones. Mm-hmm. So studied that a lot, wrote a lot about it, did a ton of research, um, and was just felt pretty committed to like, this is kind of going to be one of my things. This is what I care about. Um, this is, this is the area of work that I want to be involved in. Didn't exactly know what capacity that that would be in, but really wanted to use my journalism degree to do something kind of on the communication front. I think I assumed I would write for or on behalf of different humanitarian organizations that were doing different work. Um, And so I graduated from college and was looking for a job that would, you know, pay me to travel (laughs) the world and to do this thing that I really cared about and that aligned with my my belief system and all that kind of stuff. And my my dream dream was like, I, I wanted to be the Nick Kristoff of, of our generation. Yeah. And turns out when you're 22 and you've never held a job in journalism before and you've never really even left the United States, (laughs) finding someone to pay you to travel the world to like conflict zones and report on things, um, is a little bit harder to come by than I wanted to, um, acknowledge. So couldn't find a job basically that would like kind of fill this, this dream of mine, but was graduating from college, had bills I had to start paying. And so I got a job at a massive corporate communication firm based in St. Louis and kind of started, started doing that. It was a great job. It was a great company, had like a very clear kind of path to how you excelled within that environment. And a couple months in just had this moment. I I was actually, you know, I, I, I say 
it's rare in life to kind of have these like really crystal moments where like something's happening that's causing a chain reaction of events or thoughts. But this was definitely one of them. I'm not sure. Have you ever seen the girl effect video that the Nike foundation put out many years ago? Yeah. Okay. It's like that animated movie and it talks about what happens when you invest in a girl in a developing economy and how, you know, she's more likely to get educated and her kids will be just kind of that whole like ripple effect. Yeah. And it was interesting because it was nothing new to me. There was no new piece of information. But what I remembered was sitting at my desk in my fancy like corporate clothes on the 14th floor of this high rise building and watching this video at my desk, you know, with my earbuds in and I just like started crying and it was just kind of like, this is it. Like this is, this is what I care about. This is what, you know, makes the kind of fire in my belly come alive. And yet my life right now and my foreseeable future, if I continue kind of pursuing this like corporate success track will have no overlap with this thing and really kind of have this realization that it's like, yeah, 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 you know, all of these facts about issues that are facing women and girls living in developing economies and in conflict zones. But yet, like, your life is completely unaffected by that. And you don't Mm -hmm. even actually have a single friend who's a woman in your life right now who comes from this background, who you're in community with, who you're learning from. And, and all of a sudden, it kind of shifted from like, find the job that will help, you know, that will allow you to do this thing that you care about to like, just go learn and like, forget about the job for now. Like, that'll come the most important thing that you can do right now is to just be in a posture of learning and in community. I really it was really important to me of like, okay, if I'm going to care about this thing, I need my like reality and my community to actually reflect it. I don't want to like sit in an ivory tower and speculate about issues that are affecting people in a community and economy in a world that I know nothing about. And so that was really the spirit behind I I think that day, (laughs) you could say I'm a bit on the impulsive side. I like to uh, (laughs) leap a little bit before I I figure out how I'm going to get to the next stage. So I quit my job. I put in my two weeks notice and I bought a one-way plane ticket to Uganda. I didn't know. uh, I had no idea what I was going to do. No one was paying me. I wasn't going with an organization. It was literally like where on the map my, my thought was, okay, where is there a place in the world where there are a lot of women who are living in extreme poverty and or post or conflict or post-conflict zones, and um, where could I get by with uh, really basically only knowing English, go me and my monolingualness. And Uganda was one of the countries that kind of came to mind, and I had in university studied and wrote a couple papers about some of the conflict that was happening in northern Uganda, so kind of had an idea of the kind of more historical, social, political climate. And so that was it. It was Uganda. It was. So you can imagine when I told my parents that, you know, at 22 and mind you, this was in 2008, right as the recession was happening. So the economy is literally crashing. Everyone graduating from university can't get jobs. It's, you know, like this huge dramatic season. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And by the way, I just quit my job and I'm moving to Africa. (laughs) And my parents are like, you're okay. Um, who, what are you doing? What, what's your work? Who are you working for? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't have a job. I'm just going to make friends. <laughs> and they're oh. like, um, couldn't you like just join a volleyball team? Like your sister? <laughs> Could you just do something enough? normal? Just come on. Can't you just like go to one of those meetups or something? <laughs> um, so I did that. So I showed up in Uganda and again, my posture was really like, Hey, I'm just here to like learn and to make friends who wants to be friends with me. I mean, what did you, and, what did you do uh, when you first started, got there? Like, what did you say? Where did, what did you do when you first got there? Like you just walked off the plane and like walked up to somebody and said, Hey, I'm Liz. I'm here to make friends. Like, what so did- I, about a week before my plane, so I bought a plane ticket sitting at my desk that was left. I was like, okay, what's two weeks from now? I have to put my two weeks in notice and then I'll leave on the day that my last job is. So I had about two weeks to prepare for the trip. And, um, there was a girl that went to my university. We weren't like really friends, but we had some mutual friends. And I remember that she moved to Uganda and she moved to Uganda to work for an orphanage over there. And so I sent her an email about a week before I left and I was like, Hey, I'm moving to Uganda next week. Like, want to hang out? I don't know what I'm going to do. And she was like, oh, yeah, that's, like, awesome. It would be so fun to see you. Like, do you have a ride from the airport? And I was like, no. And she's like, okay, I'll, like, come pick you up. You know, I have a driver that I love, and we'll come get you. So it turns out um, she was about three hours late. 
<laughs> to come pick me up from the airport. So we, I, our flight landed at about 11 p.m. So here I am, like, literally, and I did not grow up traveling. That was, like, not, you know, we went on vacation to South Haven, Michigan, was about as exotic as my family travels got growing up. This is a very new world. Here I am. I show up in Uganda, had never stepped foot on the continent before, and this this girl <laughs> that's supposed to pick me up does not show up. And But it was great. I love that that's how the trip started because it was just like everything from there on out was just a series of like, oh, here's what you thought was going to happen. Ah, figure it out. You know, like make it work. Problem solved. Don't panic. Keep your head. Keep cool. Figure out what the next step is. And honestly, it wasn't just in the beginning. That has that's truly has been the like ethos and the rhythm of my entire journey as an entrepreneur up until this point. And so I, I actually feel grateful that I kind of got thrown in, thrown into the deep end. So yeah, everything from language to money to how do I get a ride from the airport into the city? I was just in hyper, hyper, I don't know anything and I'm here to learn mode. Um, and so Wow. Just start traveling the country and doing like exactly what you imagine. It's actually, you know, looking back on it, just being like, hi, my name's Liz. Do you want to go to lunch? <laughs> you know, just like <laughs> trying to be a professional friend maker and started volunteering with a couple different organizations here and there and ended up um, kind of just through a series of friendships. Um, finding out about this organization that was based in Kampala um, and that was really unique. And, uh, you know, you've been to Kenya, you've seen like, you should, I think I think northern Uganda specifically in 2008 had more nonprofits per capita than any other city in the world. Wow. So it's just like, you know, you show up and, you know, it's just like the save the children, feed the children, feed the hungry, well initiatives, water initiatives, AIDS initiatives. There's tons of different nonprofits and organizations. Um, and I kind of worked here and there with some of them. And to be totally honest, I... Um, maybe it was the challenger in me tended to kind of have this rhythm where I would show up and I would just get pretty disillusioned pretty quickly about like what was happening and was it this really effective and is this the best way to go about things. So when I stumbled upon this community um, who their whole vision is like, hey, we want to find the best and the brightest young people from all over the country who are academically really gifted, who show a lot of leadership potential, but who come from backgrounds of extreme poverty and then can't afford to have a decent education. We want to find those students, bring them together for this two-year best-in-class college prep program. And in addition to giving them this great academic experience and this great leadership experience, we want to teach them how to live in unity and in community. So Uganda is a pretty divisive country, tons of different tribes and languages and ethnicities. Um, and there's a history of conflict there. And so their whole vision is like, hey, if we can bring 18 year olds together and put them in, you know, a small group together where they live and they work and they do their chores and they go to class and they worship and they study and they do all of this stuff together and teach them that actually they share a lot more in common than they were taught that they did growing up and learn how to, you know, live in a reconciled way. And then these students go on to become doctors, lawyers, policymakers, politicians, that here is this kind of sustainable path towards long-term unification and peace. Yeah. And I was like, yes all the praise hands yes all the praise hands all the amens like I loved that vision I loved the idea of going a, a lot deeper with a more narrow kind of focus than like a massive kind of widespread um approach and so I was like these are my people I, I really respect this model I just put me to work I'll do whatever you need like whatever and they were very gracious and entertained me and would send me kind of around to their different projects and I would write stories about the students that were in their program and just kind of through that journey became really invested specifically in the girls school so the girls school at the time was only about five years old the boys school was about 25 years old and um so I just really kind of became a part of that community and by being a part of that community, I became a part of this conversation that they were facing um, as an organization, a really big challenge, specifically with their university-bound women, being that these young women are graduating from high school, testing into college, top 5% of students in the country, um, are getting into university, have this incredible just 
gusto and vision and drive for what they want to do for themselves and their families and their community. And they were going back home to their villages for their gap year in between high school and universities. There was nine months in between high school and college. And basically what was happening is these young women were going back to their villages with all of this gusto and vision and two things happened. One, they couldn't find jobs. And the whole point of the break is so that they can find jobs to make money to pay for university. Yeah. They couldn't find jobs. A lot of them are from areas of the country where there's, you know, over an 80% formal unemployment rate and they're competing with young men in the villages for the same jobs. So no economic opportunity. And then there was a big loss of social support. You know, they've gone the last two years, they've been living in community with other women who are driven, who have these big dreams with teachers and administrators who really believe that they can become leaders. And then they're going back to their villages where Honestly, they're kind of freaks. They're freaks of nature. It's like they may be the only women in their entire village who have gotten that far in school, let alone that want to go on to university. There's a ton of pressure on them to get married and to start having kids and dowry and bride price and all this crazy stuff. So the organization is really sitting around going like, what are we going to do? You know, we can't just keep like graduating women from this program without like a more sustainable path towards the end goal, which is getting them in university so that they can kind of pursue leadership positions in their society. Yeah. And so of everything that I saw in Uganda, it was just like, okay, this is it. These are my people. These now are my friends. So like all of a sudden this kind of high level macro problem, right. Of like women and girls living in extreme poverty, economic, educational opportunity, all of a sudden that became incredibly narrow and focused on like these 25 women getting from high school to university so that they can become leaders in their communities. That's yep. it. That's this, this is their problem. And now this is my problem because they're friends and this is my community. Yep. And so that really kind of just started the journey of just like, okay, now we have the problem. It's a very specific problem. It can't be that hard. You know, <laughs> famous last words eight years later. Um, <laughs> And so kind of just started brainstorming different things that we could do. I wanted um, originally to start some sort of like sponsorship program where we would match up women in the U.S. with women in Uganda. And the more I just started really learning and researching, and I can't tell you how many, it was just question asking, honestly. I feel more than anything, probably I'm a professional question asker of hosting focus groups and saying, okay, here's my idea. What are my blind spots? What am I missing? Why would this not work? How can I make this better? And I started hearing something really consistent from my Ugandan community, which was this idea of financial sustainability. It was a job creation, kind of this idea of like, yeah, if you're just sending money across the ocean, one, you're not really helping us build our economies. What we need are jobs. We need Mm -hmm. industry growth. Mm -hmm. Uh, We need investment into our businesses. And two, what are the women going to do? They're going to go back to their villages and you may have solved the financial component of it, but they're not learning anything. They're not like living in community with these other like really high potential young women who are also really driven. They're going to be super isolated. They're going to face all this social pressure. So, hey, Liz, if you really, really want to help, here's what you should do. Figure out a way to keep them together, living in community and um, give them a job, give them something to do so that they can learn so you can actually contribute to our economy. Yep. Okay. Well, I was like, okay, (laughs) like, you know, here I am a 22 year old journalism student who's never (laughs) even like basically worked for a business, let alone like ever thought, you know, the, the talking about economy and job growth and and, in investment, that was not my world. That was not my language. I admittedly was like a pretty naive, I think narrow minded American. I'm like, no, no, no. When you come to Africa and you try to solve a problem, there's one way to do that. Yeah. And that was some sort of charity or sponsorship program. Yeah, clearly. Uh, (laughs) So, so my world totally turned upside down. It turned upside down and it smashed into a million pieces. And I was like, whoa, okay. And then I kind of started to pick up the pieces. And really, honestly, it was a process of me of kind of rebuilding what I believed about the world and how we solve problems. And out of that, um, Seiko was born. So before, before I landed on really gorgeous leather goods that are, you know, versatile and interchangeable and well-made, um, I actually ran a chicken farm for a short stint, (laughs) which, um, you know, how is how most fashion companies start. That seems, yeah, I was going to say, that seems like a natural stepping stone to yeah, exactly. running a leather I mean, goods you've company. Heard it once, you've heard it a million times. Chickens, Chickens to leather goods. <laughs> yes. Um, so that failed and then moved on and I had designed these. Designed is actually a very gracious word for what I did. I would say I 
I uh, hacked together. So my thought in college was literally, it was less of like, oh, how do I design a really beautiful, versatile piece of footwear? It was more along the lines of, I'd love a pair of flip-flops that don't flop. <laughs> Wouldn't that be neat? So, you know, just really thinking about those philosophical things in life. And uh, got a pair of, like, rubber flip-flop bottoms and ribbons and kind of tied them together and made these, like, funky, strappy sandals. And then while um, I was kind of brainstorming this, one of my friends from back home was like, what about those, like, funky sandals that you made in college that everybody loved? And honestly, at this point, I was like, well, I don't have any better ideas. I tried the charity. That kind of bombed. I tried this chicken farm. That failed really miserably. Like, sure, why not sandals? And that's um, that was kind of how that journey began. So started the process of figuring out, making a prototype and what's the product and really cobbling together a very rough rudimentary supply chain and kind of manufacturing system. And then I went to the school and I hired three young women, Mary, Mercy and Rebecca. And I sat with Mary, Mercy and Rebecca and I basically said, okay, here's the deal. If you make these sandals for the next nine months and ship them to me in the U S I will sell them and you will go to university in the fall. And they were like, okay. <laughs> and I was like, okay, <laughs> it's a deal. And, um, we made sandals together for a couple months. And then I uh, flew back home to the U S with about three suitcases full of sandals and started selling these, uh, these strappy sandals out of the back of my car, which is definitely, you know, what your parents want you doing with that master's degree in journalism that you yeah. earned. <laughs> yeah. Now, so how long were you in Uganda but before you came back and so what year was because I know it was 2008 when you got about your one-way ticket so about six months yeah yeah so I left in the summer and then I came home for that first my my agreement that I made with my parents after I bought my one-way ticket is that I would at least come visit for Christmas and by the time I came home for Christmas I think so for the first like couple months it was really just like the, just my professional friend making and then really kind of got the idea for Seiko sometime that fall and then kind of you know launched it on that micro level with the three women in Uganda and then came back home to the U.S. at the um, right before I think it was the day before Christmas and um, and then kind of tried to start getting Seiko off the ground in the U.S. So I mean, one, I mean, there's a lot of things that I'm like <laughs> I, I I'm just in awe because I mean, I, I ha, having so many friends that are in the, you know, kind of in this space and um, I've just, you know, it's interesting how over the years my friends have just I've sort of made these relationships that of people who share the same passion that I do. I yeah. know how difficult what you did is because <laughs> like, I was I mean, when I was in Kenya in January, you know, one of the things that we're working with is this ministry to same thing. We're, we're trying to provide kind of sustainable employment and, um, but make it something that they are really taking charge of. And anyway, I'm not going to go off on a tangent of that, but like, I know how hard it is what you guys did. And the fact that, well, I say you guys, I mean, but you with, you know, Mary Mercy and, um, Rebecca. Rebecca. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's hard. So the fact that you guys were, I mean, you were a professional friend maker and then you're like, (laughs) I'm going to, that you had the wherewithal, if that's even the right word, just to to persevere and push through. And you're like, I am going to find a way to make this happen. And then you're like, let's just make these shoes and I'm going to sell them out of the back of my car. I mean, that's amazing. That's amazing. It is amazing. It's amazing that it worked, you know, (laughs) but I will say that it's like at the end of the day, the first two things didn't work, you know, where it's like they failed and they failed really miserably whether it was because from an idealistic stand or you know from a Mm -hmm. from a more kind of model mindset I couldn't get behind it or if the next one was just literally the economics didn't work I think more than anything it was and I really try to communicate this I think it's really easy when you see someone 10 steps ahead right of like what they've already built it's all a mystery how they got there right and I think it's really easy for us to assume like well they must have, you know, had a special training or they went to school for the right thing or, well, you know, her uncle is Ralph Lauren. So clearly that's how they got, you know, like uh, they had a connection or something. And I think my greatest hope, honestly, when sharing 
that story and my story is that people walk away honestly and not to be self-deprecating about it, but literally being like, well, shoot, (laughs) if she can figure it out, like surely I can, you know? And at the end of the day, it truly is. It's, it's the willingness to just keep showing up and the willingness to like say, I'll try and I'm going to fail. And then I'll try again and kind of demystifying and de-emotional flying. If that's the word D, I don't, I don't know. But like a failure and just like it's and I think I honestly would attribute the success of Seiko to the fact that I had no horses in the race, if you will. I didn't show up to Uganda to be a social entrepreneur. I wasn't someone who said I have this great idea to start something. And I think what that allowed me to do is just to have a lot of freedom to say like, let me just, I just want to do whatever makes the most sense. And, and so I can ask really hard questions because I'm not afraid of hearing any answers because it's not like I'm coming in with, you know, I meet a lot of people that I feel like they get so tied up into their vision and their idea of, you know, their role in it, that they can't actually ask really good or hard questions because they are too afraid of hearing an answer that might lead them in a different direction. So there's like an emotional attachment um, to your idea that I think a lot of times can hinder us. So I think what I had going for me is that I was whole, I had a death grip on the end goal on like do something that'll help create a bridge for girls in between high school and university. But the how, you know, are we going to get over there with a boat or a hovercraft or rollerblades <laughs> or like what, you know, the, the, the mode to how we were going to accomplish that. I was very agnostic. It was like, I don't care. Chicken farm charity business. Like now I say that and eight years later, being a for-profit business has become almost as important if you know, secondary, but really like I feel as equally passionate about the model as I do the mission. But that's been eight years of learning and of exploring and of building things and then tearing them down and then building them up again to get to a point where I can honestly say, like, I, I believe in the depths of my heart. I don't think what we're doing is a silver bullet and I don't think it works everywhere. And I think that there's lots of different ways to solve problems. But I think in the specific community that we're working with, with the specific problems that we're working with, the model that we've created is, is the best answer to this thing. But eight years ago, I didn't care. Eight years ago, it was about get girls to university and be just relentless in that pursuit. Um, But yeah, honestly, I look back on those early days and I'm like, man, naivete, I think really was a a great um, thing to have in my arsenal. I just, I didn't know how hard it was going to be. And and I think the thing about entrepreneurs is like every day you wake up with the the kind of sneaking suspicion that today is going to be the day that it clicks, that you solve the problem, that you get through that hump. Um, and then you wake up eight years later and you're like, oh, I've woken up every morning with that. You know, it's always tomorrow. But I think that that's what keeps that's what keeps you going when you're an entrepreneur is the belief that like we're getting better and we're fixing problems and we're taking two steps back, but we're taking three steps forward. And like, yes. isn't this crazy, but great, but horrible, but amazing. I love it. I love it. I, I, there was one of those graphics that somebody shared the other day that was like the life of an entrepreneur. And it was like, I'm going to do this. Life is terrible. I love my life. This is it's so Jenna, hard. It's Jenna it's just like, yeah. She has that because, and I know that because I literally screenshotted it yesterday and sent it to one of our fellows. It's like seven steps. Yeah. yeah. This is amazing. I love this. This is really hard. This sucks. I hate this. Wait a second. Why am I this doing this? Yeah. This rocks. I'm awesome. And I was just telling my team that I honestly feel like there's days where I've gone through that cycle within within an hour. Oh, easily, easily. Easily. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, completely. Now, quick question. Um, Where did you get the name Seiko? Hmm. So Enseiko is the Lugandan word for laughter. And when I was just I love that. Back in the early days of like, what the heck? And honestly, even at that point, I think I had enough wherewithal to know like, oh, man, this is the circus. What are we doing? And I felt like that kind of spirit of like, but still she laughs, you know, and whether that be in the face of failure, in the face of hardship, like to have a sense of both like confidence, but also like holding things loosely enough and allowing them to evolve and just really, truly wanting the spirit of what we were doing to be one of, um, of joy and kind of, of that, of that sense of optimism and hope for the future. And so that's how we got the name Seiko. I love that. That is awesome. But I mean, that's, 
that's who I am too. Like I am one of the, I'm an eternal optimist. <laughs> I mean, I'm a re- I, I, I see, you know, the reality of things, but I'm an eternal optimist. I try to see the joy and the laughter. And I mean, maybe it's my comedy back, my background in comedy that does oh, that. I think it's got a background in comedy. Yes. Yes. I did. Be um, besties. This is amazing. I know. Tell me about that. Yeah. I did improv and sketch comedy for about 15 years. No, you did not. I did improv in high school. Really? I think had I not gotten sidetracked by this whole like thing, I love comedy. I think comedy and studying comedy, and I don't do comedy, but I am an avid consumer of live comedy, of sketch comedy, of I fell asleep last night watching Mike Birbiglia's Thank God for Jokes. Have you seen that I yet? love Mike Birbiglia. He's been here to North Carolina. I got to, I, I say I got to meet him. I like, I shook his hand. That's about the extent. <laughs> hey, hey, in my book, that counts. That's I know. amazing. I had no. So where did you where were you based when you were doing this? Well, I mean, I started doing comedy in middle school, actually, and then um, did sketch comedy for years. I was in a sketch comedy troupe in college um, on campus and um, was a head writer for that. And then um, and then I started taking classes, improv classes, because I my dream, like my life dream was to be on Saturday Night Live, like from the time. Yes. Yes. So like from the time I was, I mean, very early, probably elementary school till really like 2010. (laughs) When I finally was like, I know that this is a podcast so people can't see my face, but my cheeks literally hurt because I'm smiling so big. (laughs) This is so fun. So I did. So I started taking, I realized that most, I mean, honestly, most of the people, at least in the last like 10 to 15 years and really now too. Um, and then before all the people that ended up on SNL started out doing improv, almost all okay. of them. So oh, yeah. um, I started taking classes at the upright citizens brigade theater in New York city. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, and so I, I took a bunch of classes there. Um, I, then I studied with the second city, which is out of Chicago, oh, but they actually have a, um, city. they have a training class or training school in New York. So I had taken classes with Second City. I took some classes at the People's Improv Theater in New York. Um, My cousin actually lives in New York. And so on winter breaks and summer breaks, I would go up and like live with her. And then I would just take as many classes as I could. And then I started doing um, improv my senior year in college. And then I did um, I did something called comedy sports. I actually went to a comedy sports um, improv festival in Portland in 2008. Yeah. And so I did, yeah, I did comedy for years and then, um, you know, and then I think it's just one of those things that I, I love it. I really do, but you know, kind of life happened and some, some things happened and, you know, that's another story for another day, but I, I sort of, I left, there's an improv theater here in the local community and I left that theater in 2000 and, like 11 or 2012. So okay. I haven't done much since then. Um, I, I try and flex my improv muscles. Like I'll teach workshops and stuff. Um, cool. So, I, you know, and I do a lot of public speaking. And so I always do every, pretty much every speaking gig that I do, I do some type of improv exercise with the audience or with yeah. the, the people that I'm working with. Um, I always, just because that's my background and I love improv and I think, you know, I could t- I could talk about it for hours, but <laughs> yeah. I, I really, truly believe that there is a lot of overlap between improv comedy in general and being an entrepreneur. I yes. think yes. I think the overlap of how you see the world, how you react to things. Um, I think one of the things truly that like in some of my like darkest moments, when I'm in the middle of something that I'm just like, how are we going to do this? Like, this is it. This is the end. We're not going to be able to pull it off. I made, I made a fatal decision. We're not going to be able to recover for this or like, where am I? How did I get here? There's like always kind of this net. I can like visualize myself 10 years telling the story about that moment. Yeah. And, you know, like sitting around with friends and we're drinking whiskey and I'm like, and then, and it's like, even just being able to visualize me telling this great story about this horrible, tragic, terrible decision or awful situation or thing that we didn't know how you're going to get out of. And it's just like thinking about it in that way. It's like, okay, you just gotta, you can't, you don't know exactly how you're going to get to that spot, but you will be there and you'll look back on this and it, if nothing else, this is going to be a great story. And I honestly feel like that sounds so like simplistic or cliche, but it's something that truly, 
keeps me afloat when, you know, during those entrepreneurial, just like I, I was literally reading an article at lunch today that was like talking about the psychological price of entrepreneurship and how yes. truly emotional and emotionally and taxing it, it can be. And I, I do feel like that. And I think that comedians do that. They like have the ability to see even the hard things in life and then pick out the truth. But then like, then in some ways it's taking ownership over it, right? Like yeah. I'm not a victim of this thing. This thing happened and now I'm going to take those pieces and those nuggets of truth and I'm going to reformulate and you know, whether that's into a sketch or a joke or a commentary about our society. But I think it's, it's always that like you're, you're being, you're taking what, what's been thrown at you and then you're recreating it. You're recrafting it into something. Exactly. And I think that ultimately like that's what our job is as entrepreneurs is to like not be victims to the stuff that comes our way that feels like it's impossible, but instead say, okay, it's my job to now take all of these raw materials, all of these ingredients and fashion it into something that's going to work for me, for my mission, for the people that are, are crazy enough to believe in me and come alongside me and. Yeah. I mean, one of the, you know, one of the the principles and you've kind of alluded to it, one of the, I mean, the foundational principle, it's the thing you learn in improv 101, the foundational principle of improv is called yes. And, and what that, what that means is that you are saying yes to whatever is given to you. You then say, and, and you're building on it. The worst thing that you can do as an improviser is say no. It's truly the worst thing. Like it again, Improv 101, they say you say yes and if if you say no, end scene. Like if if somebody comes out and says, "Hey Jane, I'm a teacher and welcome to my classroom." And you say, "No Jane, you're not a teacher. You're actually an astronaut." Like, "Well, great. End scene." Like <laughs> the scene <laughs> there's nowhere we can go from here cuz now we're in crazy town. So <laughs> You know, but that's that's how I've learned. I've taken a lot of those principles from improvisation and and applied that to life, because when exactly like you said, like if I if if I get thrown a curveball or if something hard happens or if if something doesn't go my way, I don't say no, because there's nothing I can do about it. It is what it is. It's a matter of, okay, this has happened. So if this is true, then what else is true? How can I move forward? How can I persevere? How can I keep showing up? How can I learn from this mistake? How can I learn from this obstacle? And you're right. It's, this is one of the things that I tell people too when, when I'm, if I'm teaching a workshop or if I'm you know, doing something with entrepreneurs, I just say like you, you have to keep doing the work. And, and you said this earlier in, in the show. You said – you know, I, I think a lot of times we we go into something with like the delusions of grandeur, as you know, of like of it's all going to be perfect and everything is going to be really successful really quickly, and that's not reality. We all are going to you know hit roadblocks. I mean, I was actually going to ask you about this, but I think that this kind of is a good segue. So I guess a couple years ago, you guys were on Shark Tank. We were the uh, the theme song to Shark Tank can still give me. Um, can still give me flashbacks. <laughs> and I remember, I remember the build up to it. I remember when you guys were like, we're going to be on Shark Tank. And then I remember I DVR'd it and I sat down to watch it. And I remember being like, sharks, what are you thinking? You guys are ridiculous. You don't know what you're talking about. I was like, I felt like it was the ethical fashion version of the Super Bowl and my team was losing and I wanted to like throw... <laughs> throw my food at the television and be like, you don't know what you're talking about, sharks. So anyway, for those of you that did not see it, Liz, did you get a deal? <laughs> no, we, uh, it, we did not get a deal. Molly's t- Molly's nachos ended up on the TV screen, yeah. actually, because we did not uh, we did not score a deal in the in the traditional sense of getting an investor from the show. Right. I will say right. that the entire experience was probably, you know, it was one of the on a personal level was one of the best things that I've ever done that I don't really ever want to do again, but one of the best things that we've ever done. And then of course for our business, um, I mean, there aren't, there are not a lot of ways to get in front of several million people for $0 and be able to, to tell your story. And so from, from that, from that perspective, we got the deal of a lifetime, yeah. but it, it required, you know, in terms of winning and losing on the show, it definitely required losing 
on national television <laughs> to get that. Um, but it was it was definitely worth it, and I would I would do it again in a in a heartbeat. But we learned we learned so much, and I think it was a really good. Um, it was fun. It was really fun to strategize about like how we were going to, you know, what our goal was, how we were, you know, we knew, we felt pretty confident actually that we were not going to get a deal going yeah. in. Um, you know, we were actually, a lot of people go on the show that are either not raising money, but they decide to raise money because they got on the show or they can't raise money. They have to get all of their investment from the sharks. We were in a pretty unique position that we were, we were about three fourths of the way through uh, our fundraising round. So when we found out that we were on Shark Tank, we paused all of our meetings with other investors, but we had already raised about 75%. So we, we didn't really want to mess with our valuation and, and kind of like say, you know, we're going to lower our valuation so that it, it's more likely that we're going to get a deal. And because we didn't really have any wiggle room and we just, and they knew that going in that we said, well, this is the valuation that we've been raising money at. So if you want in on that valuation, great. If you don't, we're not really going to budge. That yeah. being said, we we were at least a little bit emotionally prepared. You know, of course, the eternal optimist was like, I don't know, maybe they'll just love us so much that they're not even going to want to negotiate and they'll just give us what we're asking for. But the realistic part of me knew that that probably wasn't the case. And we really had to kind of make the hard decision of like, do we just be authentic and real? A lot of people on Shark Tank aren't being super real about it. They're mm -hmm. like, they kind of have their like TV deal that they're doing, you know, and we, we just like didn't really want to take that route. And so, but even making that decision was really hard because it still resulted in, it was an interesting experience to have other people, you know, we would have people that would say like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry about what happened at, on Shark Tank. And it was so interesting to me because here I am, I'm the person, you know, who more than anybody is responsible for just getting a Seiko story out. How do we, you know, how do millions of people know who Seiko is and see our products and hear our story? So for me, for my job, Shark Tank was one of the biggest, getting us on Shark Tank was one of the biggest wins of oh, yeah. my career. And yet it was a lot, it was, we lost, <laughs> you know, so it was like a funny thing of like, it was a huge win, but it was a technical loss. And so I actually had to do quite a bit of like, self-work in the process of like being okay with that and, yeah. and like yeah. dealing with my own like ego and insecurities and like okay if people don't get that and you know, a lot of people what was really hard for me is we had a lot of people that were like oh my gosh are you gonna be able to keep going you know because you didn't get a shark um, you're like of course like, yeah. You know, like our whole, luckily our entire financial strategy did not rest on reality television. Yeah. We're, you know, we're going to be fine. Yeah. Um, but it was amazing. It was just such a, I look back on that. I mean, the whole experience is a mind. It is just like, it messes with your head and you're in this hotel room for days beforehand and you don't know when they're going to call you. And they're, they're very adamant that like once the, once the cameras start rolling, nothing stops. You know, they, they literally said to me, like, literally, if you threw up or that light fell over and hit you in the head, we wouldn't stop the cameras. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> like, no pressure. No pressure. Um, so the amount of just like practice of, you know, you're practicing your pitch and you're, you know, trying to anticipate the questions that they're going to ask you. And uh, it was it was a, a pretty wild experience. That's for sure. One that I'm, I'm happy is in. Again, I think that 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 thought process of like, Hey, if nothing else, this will be a great story someday. And that, um, maintains very true for the shark tank experience. Yes. And I think you guys, too, like you said, I think it was a win. I mean, even though you guys didn't get a deal and at the time, I remember being like, the sharks are crazy. You know, <laughs> this is ridiculous. But I mean, now being where I am now and knowing more about you, I think it was probably a huge blessing that you didn't and yeah. and you're right you got to tell the story and I you were so poised when they were like but why wouldn't you just be a nonprofit?" you know <laughs> you know and they were like wait, wait you're for profit I mean how is this yeah <clears throat> and that's you a very know, that was one of the things that I was pretty bummed about to be honest because I think you know in the in the circles that we run in Molly I think it's easy to like 
assume that everybody is like, oh, we all get this. This is like common truth that, you know, like this idea of sustainable business and using business to make a social, you know, change and not being like money hungry business people, but not also doing your traditional nonprofit model. So the biggest bummer about the entire experience was that that I, I didn't necessarily think we were going to get a deal. I at least thought, surely I'm going to sit in a room with people who are like, yeah, 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 I get that concept. And how I was shocked with how it just felt like so no connection of just like literally and so much of it got edited out that you you never end up seeing. But like just over and over again, the question of being like, wait, what? Like, just go make a lot of money really fast doing who cares what, you know, like I don't just just sell a widget or a gidget, make a ton of money and then you can go donate it. Then you can give you know, one of the sharks kind of, and this has become Seiko legend, this got edited out of the show, but one of the sharks gave us this unbelievable lecture that was like so condescending. He was like, you know, what's really great about being rich, Liz and Ben. And we were like, well, no, clearly we just told you how much money we make. We don't know what's great about being rich, but continue on. And he kind of went on this whole thing about how, because he's made so much money in his life, he can be this great philanthropist. And then he told this story. And I honestly thought he was kidding. It was so over the top. I remember just standing there. I'm honestly kind of glad it got edited out because I'm sure my face was just like, is this real life? He was like, you know, because I'm so rich, I was able to spend time at this homeless shelter last year. And you know what homeless people really want more than anything else? A clean pair of socks. And I was like, wait, what? Are you sure they don't want like, a job or like, you know, a chance to like be a functioning, like contributing member of society and take care of themselves and their family. And like went on this whole thing about how, because he's so rich, he was able to go to Walmart nonetheless and buy out all of Walmart socks and take them to this homeless shelter and give every homeless person a pair of socks. And like, why don't you do that, Liz and Ben? Why don't you just figure out a way to get really rich really quick? And then you can be like me and make a real impact by giving away socks. And I remember it honestly oh, just felt like my a, gosh, it literally just felt like I was in like the Truman show of like, is this, is this parody? And he, like, I'm waiting for the zinger at the end. And no, it was not. It was his honest to God, be more like me. This is how we make the biggest difference in the world. We get super rich really fast. We don't care how we do it. And then at the end of our life, we can use some of our surplus money that we haven't spent on, you know, he, he, he loves to talk about his Lamborghinis and his jets and anything that we have left over, we can buy poor people that can't afford it socks. Yeah. And you're yeah. Just like, this is everything that we don't want to be about. Like, have you not heard anything that I've been saying about like dignity and empowerment and creating opportunity and people rising to the challenge and the occasion and like a rising tide and, and we're doing our job over here and they're showing up with all of their creativity and hard work and, you know, and we're creating this amazing partnership. And like, really what you heard about that is like, can't you just send the poor Africans some sandals? Isn't that what they need? And you're just like, <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. You can't see my face either, but the whole time you're, I'm like, what? I, I yeah. seriously, I would have, if, if I were you, I would have said there and been like, all right. If that's how if that's how rich you are, you just go take some socks to Uganda and see how that see see the impact that that makes. It was it was it was very clear, and that's where I think it was hard. Where it's like you're sitting in front of you know six or however many there were insanely wealthy people. Not a single one of them had ever been to Africa. Actually, not. one of them even said, "This is this is another thing that was really sad." Actually, he looked at us and he goes, "This is a different shark." He goes, "I just I just don't know. I don't think I could ever. I mean." Uh, it's the idea of investing in a bit like putting my money into a business that's in Africa. Like it's just too dangerous. He goes, you tell me if I give you my money, what are you going to do? What are you going to do when you're like, you know, making your sandals and someone shows up at your workshop with a machete? Yeah, that totally is what's going to happen. And you're just like, what? Like you literally just like written off an entire continent. <laughs> it's impossible to do business or invest in this continent because a, a man with a machete might like come to your workshop. Like it just was like the the, the incredible delta between the world that I live in and the world that they live in. And that was honestly more than, you know, losing on national television or like everything else. It was like, that was the thing that at the end of the night when Ben and I went back to the hotel and had, you know, had old fashions. I think that that was 
the thing that bummed me out the most. Then, you know, it bummed me out for 10 minutes and then I became incredibly energized of like, okay, clearly there is still work to be done. Clearly this is not like, not everybody speaks our language. Not everybody understands this vision. We have to do better. We have to tell the story better. We have to continue to grow. We have to continue to get people involved. And and it, and it truly did become something that I think became a, a huge motivator for us. Wow. I, that is, oh my gosh. I, yeah, I, you, you handled that with some, now knowing that and like remembering you handled that whole situation with such class and dignity and just, I mean, you're awesome. Well, <laughs> you're like, you're like my that. spirit it took animal. A lot of work for both Ben and I, who are not the most politically um, correct dip- diplomatic people. We knew, we knew enough to know that they love, they love editing and they love drama and we didn't oh, want to yeah. give that to them. We wanted it to stay really focused on the brand story. Yeah. But man, I, I think my tongue was bleeding by the end of it by how hard I was biting it. Oh my goodness. That is crazy. Well, I can't. Okay, I could seriously sit here and talk to you for all day because clearly we have so much in common. We're the same age. We both have kids. We both want to change the world by providing opportunity in some way, shape, or form. I mean, just like we're gonna go to Ireland. It's gonna be fine. Um, <laughs> um, we'll so go to that, Ireland and then down to East Africa. Yeah, well, can you stop a little Uganda stuff? It'll be great. It'll be awesome. Yeah, we'll go. We'll go to Uganda. We'll go to Kenya. It'll be awesome. I do. I do really want to pick your brain about um, about your your tips and tricks for your first big trip away from the littles. Mine is <sighs> coming up in April, so we're going to need to connect about that. Yes, we will. We will. And that just and all of this to say that we just I'd need to have you back on the show because I have we yeah. have like so many other things to talk about. So, um, but so. Obviously, um, I'm actually really excited because right now I got an email last week that my custom Seiko sandals are in the mail. Amazing! So, That's so great. Did for, you do it through the Kickstarter? Or did I did with a fellow with a Seiko fellow. I did the Kickstarter. So Amazing. I placed my that order. Is so fun! I'm so excited for you to get it. That has been an amazing. The last couple months with the new Design Your Own platform has been really, really fun. Just it's been a whole kind of new area of our business. And for do you know, have I told you about the Seiko Fellows program? Yes. Okay. So the Seiko Fellows now can become stylists and they are, you know, the only the only way to to get your custom sandals is to either have participated in the Kickstarter, which go you on right. the on the early on the early wagon, um, or to connect with a Seiko stylist who who is someone who's kind of gone through a training process and can sell um, sell all Seiko products, but then can also walk you through how to do truly customizable, bespoke, completely custom sandals. And it's been a really, it's probably been the thing from a product perspective that I'm the most excited about what we're up to right now. So I'm really excited and I can't wait to see what did you end up choosing? What's your I got the crossover sandals because I have the silver ones from last year and they were my most worn pair last summer. And I remember wishing all summer that I had them in rose gold. And then (gasps) you guys did custom sandals and they had rose gold available. So I was like, yes. So I got rose gold crossover sandals. I got my uh, monogram in them and everything. So I'm so excited. They they should be here like any day so because they I got the email early last week that they were they were they had been shipped so I know they were like coming I think they're coming from Uganda it's been really fun to see everyone's like creations and it's amazing it's it's like it feels like we're really kind of democratizing the design process and seeing the I was just at a um at a trunk show last week that was a design your own sandal trunk show. And it's just fun. It's like coming together with all your girlfriends and it, there's something that feels really different than, you know, getting together. And we do, we do this as well. And I'm a huge fan of our standard trunk shows, but when you're bringing people together and saying like, Hey, not only like come hear this great story and buy this beautiful product, but like actually come be a co-creator, you know, and we've got like these amazing, um, like printouts with all the different sandal silhouettes and you can kind of color it in and design and you're just like going back and forth with your friends about, you know, your color combos or to monogram or to not monogram or different beading options. And and then not to mention knowing kind of the, on the impact side of not only do you get to design your sandals, but then you know who made your sandals and what that's allowing to, her to do to go on to university and pursue her dreams. And it, it really in a lot of ways feels like we're kind of bringing things 
full circle. And it's been, um, it's been a really, a really fun part. We actually write the Facebook live that I was mentioning that I was on right before I hopped onto this, we were talking about our, our stylist, um, our stylist program. And, and it's just been a really fun, fun part of my job right now. It's so cool. I mean, I just, yeah, for the, and I, you know we've we've kind of been talking about this, but um, you if you are listening right now and you've never shopped Seiko, go to Seiko Design. It's SeikoDesigns.com, right? Uh huh. SeikoDesigns.com, yeah. and that's S S. E-K-O. And I mean, not only do they have beautiful footwear, but they have the most gorgeous leather bags, clutches, tote bags. Um, I mean, everything from, you know, sort of a bag you can carry every day to something that you can really dress up. They have jewelry. I mean, everything that Seiko makes is just beautiful. And it, and it's just, it's the craftsmanship on it is beautiful. But, you know, not only are you buying a beautiful product that's going to last you a really long time, but you are, your purchase is, is enabling a woman to have an opportunity and it's empowering her to have an opportunity for employment so she can go to school. And um, I was thinking back to what we were saying at the beginning of the show, like women, women around the world, like women, you know, the, Empowering a woman has a ripple effect. And I was reading something the other day. Um, it's it's a fact. It's like research has shown that when you invest in a woman and when you give a woman a job, a woman, in especially in a developing country, invests 90% of her income back into her community and in her family. 90%. And that's opposed to about 30%, 30 cents on the dollar for a man. Yes, 90%. Yeah women invest back in their community. So um, if you have not read the book or seen the documentary, Half the Sky, watch it, read yes. it, because that that goes into everything that we're saying is just, you know, providing opportunity and providing employment is is what is sustainable and what can really make a difference. And so I, I love Seiko. I love what you are doing, Liz. I just think you are, I think the world of you, I think you're amazing. And and you are, (laughs) you are a big fan favorite here at the Seiko office. And we love one of our, whenever you post about your Seiko goods, that you're just so cute. You've got (laughs) such a great style and we love seeing how you style our products. And for us and as a designer and as someone who, again, cares a lot about products, seeing people that I know, love good quality on trend well-made products loving Seiko stuff is really it's really important to us and we never we we want people to to feel like they can have the best of both worlds with Seiko and buy you know whether that's a gorgeous sheepskin leather handbag that you know looks like it's something they picked up in Italy on vacation but knowing that they made an incredible impact um in in the life of a woman in Uganda being able to do both of those things at the same time is really important. So it's the best of both worlds when we when someone that we admire from a style perspective Aww. and from an impact mission perspective loves Seiko. Uh, it means the world to us. You are awesome. Well, for um, for those that would love to connect with you guys online, again, it's SeikoDesigns.com at Seiko Designs on Facebook, uh, Instagram, and then you on Instagram. Your personal account is at Liz Bohannon. And I will yep. put all of that information, all those links in the show notes. Um, but Liz, that's, yeah, I'm just, I'm going to go ahead and make you promise to come back on the show so I that we can am, talk I more. I know, I'm like <laughs> actually legitimately sad. I'm looking at the clock being like, wait, what? It's over. I know, how, how have we been so talking for an hour? And we just like, I could talk to you all day. So and I love it. Well, more to come. I love and, it. And, you know, we'll get lots and lots of time on that transatlantic flight over yeah. to Ireland. To Ireland and East Africa. <laughs> Liz, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a blast. Okay, guys, how much fun is Liz? Seriously, she has so much energy. She's so passionate. She's so driven. And I adore her. We had the best time talking. And we even talked for probably another 10 or 20 minutes after we stopped recording. And we both realized that we really have a lot in common. So I can't wait to have her back on the show in the future. If you have any questions about today's show, again, please feel free to find me on Twitter or Instagram. And I will leave all of the links to Liz and Seiko Design's social accounts in the show notes. So be sure to leave her some love as well. And be sure to share this show with a friend. That's how we are able to get the word out there. And you guys have, again, have no idea how much I appreciate your love and support. See you guys next week. Bye.